he says the the probably my least favorite line in the whole movie where he he comments that the coffin he's in you know he's like chilling in it because that's what he does because he's creepy he's like it's a bit tight for me but for you it's a perfect fit and i'm like first off Van Helsing is as tall as you. Second off, you're a little twig man, and that's Hugh Jackman. So he's massive. That is huge jacked so man. So you are much smaller than him. <laughs> if you do not fit in that coffin, there is absolutely no way that this man is fitting in it instead. Yep. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Richardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend and Aquaman Stan Patrick. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Now, every episode on the show, of course, our uh, dear guests always bring along one movie of their choosing for us, us to watch, which is why, Patrick, I only have one question for you. Why did we watch Van Helsing? Well, besides the fact that I think it's a fantastic movie... Um, I actually saw the movie in theaters when it came out in 2004. My parents thought it would be a fantastic idea to bring a four-year-old child to see <laughs> the movie Van Helsing full of vampires and werewolves, and uh, it did not phase me at all. It's been one of my favorite movies since then, and I had like the action figures for this movie when I was a kid. It's, it's just, it's so good. As much as it is very much not a movie for kids, I do, it has a certain like, campiness to it that it kind of makes sense that like a, a kid would really like this movie like I could see this if I was watching this as like a 10 year old being like oh yeah this is it's got monsters it's got fights it's got Hugh Jackman with a questionable haircut like we're all in baby this movie no, it, it, it's like it's like action horror movie yeah like it's, it, they took a horror movie and they're like what if we just put Hugh Jackman and made it a action movie instead and that's what they did and that's <laughs> why I don't think it scared me even a little bit when I was a kid. No, it's for all of its like gothic horror, it, it takes like Frankenstein and Dracula and Jekyll and Hyde and like a couple other sources and it crams them all into one movie. But despite being based on all of the like horror literature, it's not particularly scary. It's more thrilling than anything. Yeah, definitely. But with that, I guess we should dive right on into this one. So we open with a very spooky black and white Universal logo that burns up and turns into a spooky black and white torch that a mob storming a castle in Transylvania is uh, holding. A man, presumably Victor Frankenstein, brings something to life. If you've ever seen the scene in Frankenstein or Young Frankenstein or anything where he's in a laboratory with tons of electrical equipment and things and a guy on a table, it's that. We're... Uh, same. same thing. Genre-savvy viewers out there uh, will immediately recognize pretty much every single gothic element that appears, starting with Frankenstein. A long-haired uh, man spots Victor in the window, and the townsfolk start surging further to action when suddenly, back in the castle, the Count, presumably Dracula, um, is very happy with Victor for succeeding with bringing his monster to life. But when Victor goes to flee, Dracula stops him because in exchange for funding the experiment, he wants to use Victor's research for his own nefarious unknown purpose. The mob breaks into the castle. Victor, horrified by whatever Dracula is planning, starts to get into this conflict with Dracula. He calls out to Igor to help him. Igor's like, nah, man, you don't pay me. Victor pulls a sword. Dracula stabs himself with it, says, I'm already dead, and then proceeds to kill Victor. The monster breaks free as his creator is killed, and uh, Dracula approaches the now-empty table as the monster flees with Victor uh, in its hands towards a windmill, which we are helpfully informed is a windmill by that long-haired guy from the crowd who yells, look, heading... Creepy long-haired guy. <laughs> creepy yep, creepy yep. long-haired guy who would be a reoccurring character in the movie. Uh, for... Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, he helpfully informs us, look, they're heading to the windmill, which, great, there is absolutely no subtlety in this movie. We will be told all the information that we need, and I kind of appreciated that after about 20 minutes because I was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to understand uh, any of the subtext. I can just watch and have fun. Dracula is totally fine despite being burned in a fireplace and gives chase to the monster and Frankenstein because of course Frankenstein is the scientist not the monster. We know this of kids. <laughs> On the windmill the monster climbs past uh, bottles helpfully labeled absinthe as villagers begin to uh, burn down the windmill. The absinthe, of course, explodes. The monster, standing at the top of the windmill as electricity crackles around him, <laughs> yells, why? An old lady faints. 
Dracula in the skies is spotted by the townspeople and they all flee and the monster falls into the now burning windmill with the body of Frankenstein as the whole structure collapses around him. The brides of Dracula, we assume, these like uh, winged vampire ladies, weep and they stare at the wreckage and now we get the title one year later and our movie transitions to be in color. I think it's very funny that they were like, we need something to denote a time change, so we're going to put the, the beginning in black and white and then change to color, but the time change is only like a year. Yeah. <laughs> like, like normally it's like a long time. It sets where you up to... it'll be like black and white to modern day. It's just one year, and they were like, we'll just black and white the beginning. It sets you up to think that this whole backstory is going to be like centuries earlier, and then Van Helsing is going to do his thing, but no, it's just a year. They really, it's, it's hilarious. very recent. <laughs> all those people are still alive. They're yeah. all still around. They're all going to be background characters in the rest of the movie. Like, they're just there. Um, <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> it's it's pretty wonderful. Um, I'm very here for it. So we see a, a man in shadows pull a wanted poster for a Van Helsing uh, off the wall as a very bomb-ass score kicks in. Lots of, like, choir elements oh, the, and cool string slaps. section. It, oh, yeah. It's very good. <laughs> That's one of the things I find in movies is like consistently really excellent is score. Like it just there's a tendency for even like the most mediocre of movies to have composers that were just absolutely popping off. And this this uh, well, maybe not necessarily a mediocre movie definitely kind of falls into that category where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm almost more into the score than I am. Whatever is happening on screen right now. It's very exciting. <laughs> and uh, it, it's got some good transitions later in the movie from like regular music to like just just some bopping action music <laughs> yes 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 uh so we, i originally thought we were in london but actually we're now in paris over the body of a dead white chick van helsing is examining something and as he looks towards the cathedral that i later learned was notre dame uh he sees a, a figure kind of disappear into the to the roof he he enters notre dame walking through a very spooky, quiet attic when suddenly a large dude drops from the ceiling and jokes about how Van Helsing will be hard to digest. Helsing says this dude is wanted and that also he's Dr. Jekyll, to which the creature replies that he's Mr. Hyde now. So that's three pieces of uh, classic horror literature that have now appeared in this movie in the first 20 minutes. Yep, they're uh, just throwing them in. Just They're just tossing just them in. Throwing darts at a dartboard, like <laughs> what, uh, what book should we use next? Yeah, and despite the fact that there were three within the first 20 minutes or so, they're kind of the only three that we actually actively see alluded to in the movie. There's other, like, there's other classic, like, horror fantasy elements that'll be included, but in terms of, like, books that were written at some yeah, point... Yeah, like, actual, like, important characters. Like, like I don't think werewolves are, like... There's no, like, book right it, it's, for werewolves like there is for like vampires and dracula yeah a lot, a lot of the text in this movie is directly referencing the novel dracula like bram stoker's dracula or mary shelley's frankenstein and then also dr jekyll and mr hyde but the the rest of the fantasy elements are kind of just like these are generic fantasy elements and i, I sort of wish that there was almost some edgar Allan poe stories or just some other <laughs> crazy classic horror literature thrown in to really complete the picture but uh it's still pretty fun for the first part of the movie mr hyde being mr hyde the uh, evil monstrous side of dr jekyll has been going on a rampage and killing lots of people and van helsing is here to take him in to the authorities dead or alive gives him the classic we can do this the easy way or the hard way decision Hyde of course picks the hard way and the fighting begins Van Helsing opens up the fighting with a gun and then brings in these crazy like razor blade gauntlets they're so good they're like I don't even know they're like Beyblade-esque they look like Beyblades but they're like this they're like saw blades and they're on hit yeah. like the top of his wrists and he oh he's gotta like squeeze him to make him turn it's so cool. I have no idea what weapon that could possibly be based on, but I was so into it. I don't even... I want them, though. <laughs> I, they're so good, and he uses them so well. He does. He uses a number of weapons throughout this movie, and we'll get to that in a little bit, because he has a big, like, armor-up scene. And every single time a new one shows up, I'm like, oh, this will be Van Helsing's iconic weapon. No, this will be Van Helsing's iconic weapon. And I, there's really... There's, like... His iconic weapon is having tons and tons of iconic weapons instead of just one. But these gauntlets are the ones that I think it's the first time we're introduced to, like, this is how this man will fight. They're the ones that came with the action figure. If you <laughs> want to think about what the 
movie thought about his iconic weapon, it was these. Because they were like, this is what we'll put with the, the toy for the children. Yes, this is what the kids will want. And you know what? They were right. Hyde is thrown into the into the bell. He yells, the bell, the bell, then throws the bell on Helsing, trapping him underneath it. But he cuts through the floor with his razor blade gauntlets and then cuts off the arm of Hyde, saying, I bet that's upsetting. They fight some more. Now they're on the roof. This will be our first rooftop battle of the movie, but it will not be our last. Hyde throws Helsing off the roof of Notre Dame. Helsing shoots a grappling hook through Hyde, swings back up to safety, and Hyde falls down the other side, trips through the ceiling, through the stained glass window window of Notre Dame, turns into Jekyll and then hits the ground. Van Helsing watches from yep. the roof as a crowd gathers and a cop yells at him, hey, Van Helsing, you're a murderer. And we cut to Vatican City. Helsing uh, reports to his confessional booth where his boss, a priest, is hanging. The priest is mad at Helsing for breaking a stained glass window, which I thought was a very funny detail. Uh <laughs> Because of, it's you know. an important stained glass window. It's not just like a random one. I want to point that out. It's the it's the big circular one in the front of Notre Dame. Yeah, the but... like red, like the rose stained glass window. It's an important <laughs> one, but it is very funny that the priest is focusing on like the property damage instead of like the mass murdering monster that he took down. I just he feel did like the... tell him to go kill the guy. So to be fair, he was like, "Go kill this guy." He wasn't like, "Hey, listen, don't break that window." <laughs> If, like, if look. anything you do. <laughs> also, what is up with this guy's accent? I could not place where anyone in this movie was supposed to be from. They all have... No one is even close. Completely <laughs> randomized accents. Like, I'm in your head right now, dear listeners, I want you to think to yourself, what does Dracula sound like? You're incorrect. No one in this movie sounds like what you expect their, their accent to be. doesn't sound anything be. like the Count from Muppet from the Muppets from Sesame Street. Just get that out of your head right now. It's just not true. The only one without an accent is Van Helsing, played by Hugh Jackman, who yes. does have an accent. Hugh Jackman, who ostensibly probably should have an accent in this movie, too. All of them should have accents in this movie, honestly. None of them should even be speaking English because they're all from, like, Transylvania. Um, uh, I don't know what it was. This is Hugh Jackman's uh, second movie-struck appearance, his first, of course, being Flushed Away where he does have his uh, usual accent. So I was a little disappointed to not at least get some variant of that in this movie. But you know what? No Australian. Just straight, normal, just like American basic accent. Which is funny because the character Van Helsing in the actual original novel of Dracula does does have an accent. Isn't it in like London or something or England or whatever? So the, the novel is largely set in Transylvania and London, but uh, Van Helsing, I believe, is not from London. So he has a noticeable accent. He's got, he's like this crazy doctor character. He's not like the, uh, not necessarily the yeah, he's, he's not a monster badass. hunter even no, a little bit. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do technically hunt Dracula in that novel. So I guess, sure? But he's just like a doctor, and he was like, no, I guess I know how to kill a vampire, technically. And they were like, all right, help. <laughs> it's kind of, these. this movie and the book do the opposite things with Helsing, where in the book, he's the doctor who kind of gets roped into killing Dracula through just sort of dumb luck. Uh, and in the movie, he is not at all a doctor, but very much about killing Dracula, and kind of gets roped into helping people out through dumb luck. So... They're, they're like antitheses of each other, but they're also the same character, ostensibly. It's a lot of fun. So Van Helsing is now in the Vatican. He uh, is talking with the priest who's mad about at him for breaking a window. Helsing is revealed to be a member of an order that doesn't seem to exist, and he's not very happy that he has to do the work that he does of killing evil monsters. Uh, we also learn that he doesn't have his memory as a secret passage opens to the secret meeting place of this order that defends humanity from all sorts of monsters and evil and things and is somehow tied to the Catholic Church. It's a lot of exposition. Helsing is worried about becoming the monsters he slays. That's going to be a clue to the ending of the movie for all of you out there. Um, Helsing gets sent, is told he's getting sent to Romania where Dracula is currently a lord. Uh, years ago, a knight swore his family would never rest till Dracula was defeated, and a son and daughter duo who are the last remaining members of that line are the next that will be killed by Dracula if they're not defended. And if they are killed without Dracula being killed, their whole family will be, like, stuck in purgatory forever and they can't go to heaven. It's a very, uh... 
that was very that religious uh, problem for, you know, ostensibly like the actual problem is that just two more people will be killed by this vampire lord who has apparently got free reign in one part of the world as long as he just chills there. There's a slight romantic sting on the girls, so we know that she's going to be important when we see her portrait. Helsing is getting sent to defend them. There's a scrap of parchment that he's sent with that has a same symbol on it as Van Helsing has on a ring that he wears. So we get the clue that possibly going back to Transylvania and doing this whole thing is going to help Helsing figure out, you know, where what's up with his memories and like who he is and all that fun stuff. Then we get to uh, maybe my favorite character introduction of the movie. That's because he's the best character <laughs> in the movie. Uh, we get to meet, and I am not kidding when I tell you that this is his name, we get to meet Carl the Friar. Yes, the sidekick of Van Helsing's name is Carl. He functions. <laughs> it's amazing. He is to Van Helsing as Q is to James Bond. He's like the gadget guy making all these crazy tools and weapons for him to use. Love him. He starts giving Hans- Van Helsing all the things he'll need to deal with vampires, garlic, holy water, silver stakes, etc., He explains that vampires have very specific ways that they can be killed and gives Van Helsing the second weapon that I assumed would be his iconic thing, a, like, machine gun crossbow. It's so cool. (laughs) It's just so good. Did this come with the action figure? No, it didn't, I don't think. Unless we lost it, which is a a strong possibility. (laughs) But it's so good. And I'm upset that he only uses it for, like, the one thing. Yeah. And then it's just, like, gone. It's got, like, the rams head. It's so good. And... I was like, why would you not? This is just a machine gun for old people. It's like olden times. <laughs> it's, when we first see Van Helsing, he's using guns. And then he drops the guns almost immediately and switches to those wrist blade things. And then he says, you know what? Screw these. And mostly uses the crossbow for the next like 30 minutes or so. And then he kind of just alternates to whatever like improvised weapons are around. He doesn't really use anything specific for a while. It's a whole... He does have a stake at one point. I, He's got a <laughs> shotgun at one point. Yeah. I assume that when they were developing the action figure, they're like, okay, what are things that we can sell as like booster packs? Like, what can we make the accessories to Van Helsing be? And I think I assume that they would have just had to sell all of his various weapons at different points. <laughs> because what else? What else would you give this man infinitely cooler weapons every single 30 minute break in the movie? Carl also talks about this like, device he has it's like a little uh kind of looks like the holy hand grenade from um monty python he's been working on it for 12 years and apparently it can create a light source equal to the sun so for those of you keeping track at home we now have uh chekhov's transylvania and (laughs) chekhov's light sun grenade so that's neat yeah i think i think it's funny that this guy is like he's supposed to be really smart and like obviously he is he develops this insane device and van helsing's like what is it what is it for and he's like i don't know what it's for i'm like how do you not know what it's for it's obvious that's for killing vampires that that (laughs) has never been more obvious literally if you're in a movie where the main enemies are vampires as ostensibly everyone in the audience is aware that they are and the character who makes cool weapons shows up and is like here's this thing that creates a light source equal to the sun I don't know. I think that's going to feature somewhere in our vampire movie, maybe. I think maybe that'll be used to kill some vampires at some point, maybe. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you kind of made a vampire nuke here, Carl. I yeah, feel Carl. like that's definitely what you did. <laughs> oh, Carl. Um, and Helsing tells Carl that he has to come with him, so now he's got uh, a ride-along buddy for the trip to Transylvania. Speaking of Transylvania... But he doesn't want to go to Transylvania. But he has to go anyway. Uh, speaking, speaking of Transylvania, uh, there's a man tied to a pole in the middle of the woods. Uh, it's the prince that we saw earlier, one of the brother and sister duo who are left that need to be saved from certain doom at Dracula's hands. He's waiting for something in the woods to strike, uh, and then a big old werewolf busts out of the woods, and this dude gets pulled up into the air as their trap is sprung. A very hot lady with a sword, who is the the sister in the scenario, Anna, uh, she rushes the werewolf as a pit opens up and the werewolf is pulled in a cage in the air uh, and everyone begins to shoot at it from the ground, but it's not working. They need the silver bullet trapped in the brother's gun. I feel like I feel like they could have made more bullets. I do. I feel like it is I, an oversight on their part to not have all of the guns to have bring silver just the bullets. six in one gun. If the, clearly on, they guys. knew what they were hunting ahead of time, so why did they not prepare for that specific scenario? You know, it just it seems exactly. like they an were oversight. like, "We'll give the one guy the thing that can kill us, and the rest of us will be useless." Yeah, exactly. 
sound logic through and through. I, it doesn't make any sense. Also, the the Anna's Anna whatever her entrance is the most dramatic thing that anyone <laughs> has ever done. <laughs> where there's this whole fight going on. There's a big werewolf trying to kill her brother, and she she pulls her sword and turns around. She was not facing it this whole time. She had her back turned to the werewolf before this moment. No one in this fight is prepared which, to fight a werewolf, despite setting a trap Knowing that they were going to fight a werewolf. <laughs> this was their purpose for being in the woods, and none of they all seem so shocked. <laughs> uh, Anna ends up getting chased by the werewolf as it frees itself from the trap, and as she's running to the edge of a ravine, the werewolf goes to attack her, and her brother pushes her out of the way, shoots the werewolf, and they both off screen, they they camera stays on Anna laying on the ground, but off screen we hear a scream, a growl, and a splash sound effect, and then we cut to the wide shot, and there's just ripples in the water at the bottom of the ravine, and we have to assume that the brother, uh, I think his his name is Velkin, that we have to assume that Velkin yes. is dead now. Well, you know, if you never see a body, that's, you, know. <laughs> you don't even. It's not even that you don't see a body; you don't even see him fall into the water. It's a sound effect. There is no way. Watching this, I was like, there is no way this man is actually dead. This man is coming back sooner or later. Yeah, you see him You see him, You see see him. him shoot the werewolf, and then you see him get tackled by the werewolf, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, he gets tackled, it's, and you don't even see the two of them is... go off the edge of the ravine. It's like they get, The camera truly nope. follows Anna around as sound effects tell us that they fall off into the ravine. She is more important, to be fair. She is significantly more important. Meanwhile, while that's all happening, Van Helsing is on a very dramatic sailing trip and then on a very dramatic mountain horse ride. And this is about when the two or so hour runtime of the movie started to make sense to me. I was like, oh, okay, there's gonna be a lot of travel footage going on. We get a wide shot of the castle in the background as the lads arrive in Transylvania. They enter town and this white haired guy with, you may remember from the opening scene as creepy dude in the mob. Uh, surrounds Van Helsing in the town square. The scary hot lady from earlier, aka Anna, arrives and requests to see Van Helsing's face as everyone here doesn't trust strangers. He says he's here to help. She says she doesn't need any help. And then perfectly timed, a vampire lady, one of the brides of Dracula, begins to attack. Helsing starts shooting and Anna gets pulled into the air. Helsing grabs her boots. There's a lot of fighting over who should run. Uh, and all the three, there are, so at this point in the movie, there are three brides of Dracula. They all start attacking either Helsing, Anna, or just townspeople who happen to be in the way. There's a the cow. very funny moment. <laughs> yes, there is a cow that is just standing cow. in the middle of the street. It gets chucked through a through a house roof, and then it's fine later. Yes. It's on the po- it's on the porch. They they get it chucked through the, the roof, and then later on in the battle, when everything is over, Carl looks over to the house where the cow is just totally fine, chilling on a porch. Like I'm. <laughs> this is an important thing. Austin pointed this out to me. Cows cannot go downstairs, so that cow is now stuck on that porch. <laughs> I mean, it's in some ways it may be a fate worse than death, but I mean, I don't know if it's better that they showed us the cow or they didn't. But I certainly got a moment of joy from it. I'm not sure what sort I think of. I it's funny. <laughs> I'm not sure what. They're like turns screw all the people that are dead. This cow is fine. <laughs> yes, multiple villagers died. This cow but the is cow ballin'. totally chilling. The sun temporarily comes out, which scares the scary brides off for a moment. Then inside the house where Anna has hidden in, two of the brides start to advance on her and try to drink her blood. Oops. Um, At the same time, Helsing fires a shot uh, and gets the ankle of the gal jumping on the roofs, kind of harrowing him. He is trying to shoot her with his crossbow, but it's not really working. And Carl yells, the church and points over to a tap that is full of holy water, which is the funniest. Did they just device. have those? Do they just have like a fountain? It's a it's like, it's a fountain. It's not even like a. Bucket. I know that they have little little things of holy water in some churches. I've been to churches before. They got little right. They're, they they look kind of like that, but smaller. They're little holy water dishes. This is like a sink, though. This is, it is on, like, this is there's holy a tap, water and there's tap. a little drop of water that falls out of it <laughs> into the water to show you that it's like water. It's excellent. I don't understand. Is like, can you wash your hands in this? Is this for drinking? There's so much of it. They're just, they have a lot of things that they really need to bless. And they figured this would be a more economical way to, you know, 
Make sure that the right amount of water was always available. I suppose if you live in a town with vampires. That's true. You're going to want all the holy water you can get. In terms of like vampire, anti-vampire infrastructure, this is probably actually a sound investment on the part of this small town in Transylvania. Uh, Van Helsing. They can like hook up a hose to it. (laughs) It's like the fire, call the fire department, but instead of the fire department, it's the like anti-vampire unit. Uh, So Van Helsing uh, faces off with his bride of Dracula. He makes bolts for the church, dunks his crossbow into the holy water, whips around and shoots the bride with the now sanctified bolts at the last possible second. And she is attached to a nearby roof and turns into ash and dies uh, as she is just horrifying horrifying to watch. (laughs) They, They get all like, they go, they slowly turn to ash, but they kind of like, go all crazy like her skeleton is kind of still there yeah. and all of them die in slightly different ways i think and it's none of them are good none no, of them no, are no, pleasant no. the other two brides at this point are distracted from their attempts to drink the blood of anna and go to mourn their lost third wife it's unclear as to the situation like i know that they're all brides of dracula but it they have a weird relationship where with each other where they're kind of like bros yeah, so in, and they're also kind of connected. In the novel Dracula, these characters do also sort of exist where uh, they kind of uh, harrow the main protagonist guy when he's trapped at, trapped at Dracula's castle. And they're sort of like also, I think, referred to as the Brides of Dracula there. I'm not 100% sure on that one. But here they've been given a lot more personality in terms of how much they care about each other as opposed to like just being there to kind of be like sexy vampire ladies who happen to be totally into Dracula and drinking the blood of our protagonist. Now they're like sexy vampire ladies who turn into weird bat monsters and are obsessed with just drinking the blood of one of our protagonists and killing the other. So it's it's a slight evolution from their original role in the novel. Yeah, it's just like like when the one dies, the other two are like they know it, they sense it, and I'm like, what? Like, how do you, <laughs> what weird like telepathic communication do the three of you have? Yeah. That this is just instantly, you know that this has happened. And also, you're just going to immediately quit doing the thing that you were sent here to do to to run and cry. Yeah, and also later on they in the movie... They were like two seconds away from doing their job. Uh, one of the other brides will get killed off before the last one does, and the third bride won't really react in the same way. So I wonder if they were just really like, oh, this is our, this is our favorite of the th- trio of us. We just really like this chick. And so we're sad that she's dead. Yeah, the two, like, don't get along so much, but the third one is what's holding them together. (laughs) (laughs) She dies, and they're like, crap. (laughs) Now what will we do? Our Our friend group balance is completely out of whack. So the townspeople, despite the fact that he has just killed a vampire, all boo him. Uh, because apparently the vampires here have only been killing one or two people a month, exactly what they need to survive, but now they're going to have to kill in revenge. And you think, oh, defending this town is going to be the plot of the rest of the movie, but don't get too attached to that through line. Uh, (laughs) Helsing just sort of sits down in front of the church. The Anna comes out uh, and tells Helsing he's got a reputation and that she knows who he is. And apparently they're palling around now and they go back to her family's manor. Meanwhile, Dracula is mourning the loss of his wife. He waxes poetic about how vampires only kill as many as they need and he's going to find another bride. He has no heart, so he doesn't feel anything, which doesn't super track with him crying a minute ago. But you know what? Maybe he's just theatrical. Maybe he's like a theater kid at heart. And He's Dracula. How is he not supposed to be theatrical? Exactly. Exactly. Like, man wears all black and sleeps in a coffin. <laughs> it's about the he's aesthetic. Edgy and he's dramatic. It, he's... I also like, I like all of their wall and ceiling walking stuff <laughs> that they do all the time. Yes. You know, they're like bats or whatever, I guess. But later, Dracula's also just standing on the bottom of something for no particular reason. He has, it does not give him any benefit to be on the ceiling over the floor and he's doing it anyway. And I think, I think that this is also a dramatic moment for him. Yeah. I think he thought that standing on the ceiling would give him (laughs) an edge. You can only mourn when you're uh, upside down. Yeah, it's totally true. (laughs) Uh, Dracula, his brides beg him not to try and the experiment again, worrying about what will happen. We don't know what the experiment is yet, although I will remind our li- listeners that at the beginning of the movie, we did see Frankenstein create his monster. So that's a hint as to what may be a reoccurring process throughout the b- various climaxes of this movie. 
Igor, somehow still employed, is tormenting a monster because, as he says, tormenting is what he does. And the army of Dracula starts making for dun, 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 Frankenstein's castle. Meanwhile, Van Helsing and the princess are talking, aka Anna, are talking about where Dracula is. She doesn't know. She doesn't think anyone can uh, help her but and is insistent on handling this whole thing herself. As why the vampires are urgently attacking now, she seems insistent on heading out and Helsing gasses her so that she can't leave. So, you know, that's, I guess, one way of dealing with losing an argument. I, I, I don't understand, like, Van Helsing's asking all these questions, and Anna's like, wow, you ask a whole lot of questions. It's like, yeah, he's trying to kill these monsters that your family's been trying to kill for, like, nine generations and has failed at. Like, it, 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 what? No one in this movie trusts <laughs> Helsing to do the one thing Helsing was sent to Transylvania to do. It's, it's so, weird. so weird. I'm like, obviously he's asking you questions. This is his this is his job. And everyone seems to know who he is already, so his reputation clearly precedes him, so they should know, like, hey, this dude is actually pretty good at killing monsters. It's not just a... Uh... Not just a thing he does on the side. This is like his full-time gig, you know? This is what his rep comes from. Right, like he's got a doctorate in it. It's not (laughs) He's got his PhD in monster murderology. Anna wakes up in the middle of the night. She hears sort of like sounds in the house and she gets up to investigate. And she's calling for Helsing, but she can't spot him. Music gets super creepy as she walks through the dark hallway. And she goes to attack only to find a window rattling and give a sigh of relief. And then we go into my favorite movie effect for (laughs) monsters, Monster Vision, where the colors get really desaturated and everything gets really blurry as something is stalking Anna. and the people are, like, glowing. Yeah. (laughs) It's so, it's such a weird thing. It's it's like when your phone, like when you're watching something and your connection kind of goes out a little bit, so your whole stream gets a little fuzzy. That's what it looks like. Exactly. This monster attacks her for a moment, but the cloud quickly covers the moon, and somehow she sees her brother still alive. Shocking that after we did not see him actually fall into the ravine, he turns out that he's totally fine. Except he's not totally fine, because before he can tell her what Dracula's secret is, he turns into a werewolf as the moon comes back out. Horrifying transformation. (laughs) Horrifying. Again. He, he really, uh, like, careens around the entire room in the process of transforming. Yeah, he climbs up the wall really weirdly, and then he rips his skin off, which is just no, uncomfy. No, no, not a good time. <laughs> werewolf rules in this universe seem to be that if the moon is visible to us, the audience, then the werewolf will be a wolf, and if the moon is covered by even clouds, the wolf transformation is dropped immediately. It's a hilarious spin on the only out during the full moon thing. Personally, kind of love it. Yeah, now now it's even more specific. It's like, not only does it have to be a full moon, it can't be a cloudy night either. It has to be clear. You have to see the full moon. Yeah, which raises the question of like, if you were in a house with no windows and you couldn't see the moon, would you just not turn into a vampire or not turn into a werewolf Right, like if you were in like a basement. Exactly. (laughs) Like with the cure for lycanthropy, just being at night, you have to stay in the basement. I feel like this is a workaround to the problem that is persistent throughout this movie of curing people of lycanthropy. Yeah. Van Helsing ex machina appears as Anna is uh, watching the werewolf transformation. The duo escape the manor. Van Helsing is giving chase to the werewolf through the town, loading up them silver bullets and walking through inexplicably, incredibly smoky streets. They're not foggy. This is specifically like smoke machine smoke in the background. Who's hunting who? Asked the man hunting the werewolf. And then we get to run into the silver-haired dude who we don't like from the mob. He is out and about. Oh, he's so bad. <laughs> he, he... Also, he says the, the probably my least favorite line in the whole movie, where he, he comments that the coffin he's in, you know, he's like chilling in it because that's what he does because he's creepy he's like it's a bit tight for me but for you it's a perfect fit and i'm like first off van helsing is as tall as you second off you're a little twig man and that's hugh jackman so he's massive that is huge jacked so man you are much smaller than him <laughs> if you do not fit in that coffin there is absolutely no way that this man is fitting in it instead yep the we learn that this long-haired guy is a grave digger and that he is out in the middle of the night presume digging graves and van helsing says you know like why are you doing that and he's like well you never know you, you always need one sooner than you think uh, and then he tries to attack Van Helsing with a shovel. Uh, Helsing is simultaneously attacked by the werewolf, who he manages to sidestep, and the werewolf gets the long-haired guy, and he falls perfectly into one of the graves he just dug. So, you know, that's... Uh, Thank God. I guess that's the end of the... And then his hat <laughs> falls on the shovel and spins around a little bit. It's a picture wrap on long-haired guy. 
Helsing takes some shots at the werewolf, but he werewolf gets away. Anna stops him from landing any killing blows and says, stop, you know, like, what are you doing? Helsing says, that's not your brother anymore. And she's like, wait, you knew he's my brother? And Helsing's like, yeah, totally. And she's like, but you tried to shoot him. And he's like, it's not your brother anymore. She apparently knows that Dracula has a cure for werewolfism, and she's going after that now, as opposed to the whole killing vampires thing. Helsing's kind of still on the Killing Dracula train, but they're, uh, their to-do lists overlap, so they're traveling together. Helsing is waxing poetic about how he has no memories outside of Castle Frankenstein, where the experiment is powering up once more. Castle Frankenstein has supposedly been abandoned for a year, which gives us the point of frame of reference that the events we saw in the first opening scene of the movie only happened a year ago, and also it's where Anna's dad was going before he went missing. Uh, Anna has a moment where she talks about how she's never been to the sea, and Van Helsing gives a little smile. So yes, that's going to be an important point in her character development, I guess. It's a really weird moment, though. So strange. Every time they have like it's a, very wistful, a quiet, wistful moment, it just feels so incredibly out of place compared to the absolutely nonsense uh, action thriller that's going on the rest of the movie. Like the quiet scenes just don't land in the way that they're supposed to. Uh, it doesn't have like that emotional impact that you want to contrast with the thriller. I kind of wish it was just like, we're just going to accept that the those quiet scenes happened, but we don't necessarily need to dwell on them. We can get from action to action, because again, this movie is two hours long, and there's like five points where I was swore it was the climax of the movie. Nope, it never is. Nope. The werewolf brother reports back to Dracula, because according to the lore of this movie, werewolves serve Dracula. Um, this is his first full moon, and he's not having a great time. At midnight, he will fully become a slave to Dracula, but until then, he's just sort of, like, in a painful werewolf transformation. Dracula shows the brother the charred body of his father, who was apparently one of the failed attempts of this experiment. Like a battery. Yeah, basically what they're doing is they're using people as batteries for a purpose we don't yet understand, but the werewolf brother gets strapped to the table that Frankenstein's monster was created on earlier and starts getting raised up to the top of the tower. Helsing and Anna are wandering through the crypt where some servants of Dracula are carrying cable, which I thought was very funny. They're just kind of chilling there. Just chilling there. The experiment begins, thunder and lightning, very, very frightening and all that. Um, And then back in the crypts, pods of dead vampire children are hanging around. And specifically, they are dead because they are born dead. So this is like the egg sacks of vampires, which is an interesting uh, choice in terms of vampire lore to make. But I... They're very gross. They're real nasty. Real, real nasty. It looks like like an insect kind of hive of some sort. Uh, But they're like big. But they're They're very large. Large and gross. Mm. And when he opens it and it gets all gooey. It's none of the fun. Uh, As the lightning surges through the experiment through her brother, it begins to hit all of these egg sacs and they begin to move and make sound and stir. And as Van Helsing is digging through one to see what they're up against, the one behind Anna bursts out and all these freaky vampire babies start rising from the sacks. The experiment apparently so far a success as the children, quote unquote, are alive and Dracula and his brides go to lead the kiddos to feed on the nearby town. Helsing starts shooting at the kids, which gets Dracula's attention as the lads get to fighting. Anna runs off to do something, presumably save her brother. The monk is reading uh in the back in the manor as the vampire babies start taking flight past his window and he runs off because he must warn somebody he (laughs) somebody (laughs) somebody uh instead he runs into the town where he will proceed to save one woman's life but we'll get to that later anna uh, enters the lab where her brother is being used and starts you know fighting off some of these little minions of dracula guys to go and save her brother uh, as Igor struggles to keep the experiment going because the human is insufficient. People are getting carried off like crazy by these vampire kids in the town square. Helsing is fighting Dracula. He stabs him with a stake, but Dracula's totally fine. So in this universe, Dracula just ignores all of the regular rules of what can kill a vampire and is functionally immune to everything until the very end of the movie. But we'll talk about that later. He's like super vampire. Yeah, he's like vampire Jesus. It's, there's a lot of like lucifer imagery with dracula and it's it's sort of a he's almost more a satan character than he is well that's because that pings off of the imagery later of van helsing and who he's implied to be yes it's all it's all very catholic but not at all in a religious way that i think would be accepted in any canon of the church currently (laughs) i i don't believe that the church would accept that dracula is the devil no, no, no. As canon, no. No, 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 no. 
Anna manages to get to the top of the experiment where her brother is as he is turning into a werewolf. Helsing hears the werewolf scream. Dracula is all like, yo, we gonna talk, bro? And Helsing crucifixes him, which does hurt Dracula, but does not stop him. Dracula seems to also know who Helsing is, although Helsing cannot remember Dracula. Meanwhile, the monk guy throws a bucket at a vampire baby and saves a girl who's all, like, thankful, and all the vampire kids around him start exploding as Igor remarks that the experiment was a failure and the brides fly back to the castle. So we've learned that in order to keep all these vampire babies alive, the experiment not needs to not only happen, but has to somehow have some element of it that is successful that we do not know uh, about yet. It's a little unclear on, like, what determines what is successful because the experiment seems to just be hitting a person with lightning repeatedly and then hoping for the best. But, you know, the scientific process is often a confusing one and one of repeated failures before you so get it's success. It's a lot of trial and yes, error. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Helsing grabs Anna at the top of the ca- tower and they manage to zip line like, a whole mile out of the castle. Like, <laughs> he shoots his grappling hook and it goes over an entire ravine. As they're partway down the zip line, the werewolf jumps out Out of the tower after them, he cuts the line and plummets to presumably his doom, except it won't be his doom, but it'll almost be his doom. He falls into a lot of ravines. For like 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He comes back very soon. Yeah, this, this werewolf brother character falls into the most ravines in the movie, but he is not the only character that falls into ravines in this movie. It's a reoccurring No. Death uh device. And I find that so incredibly funny. They're like, what if what if not just one guy, but every guy almost died falling into a ravine and then came back to life. And you're like, is this ravine really that deadly? Like, I feel like if everyone who's ever fallen into it keeps coming back totally fine, maybe we should be a little less concerned people fall into ravines, but whatever. I, I'm a little confused on the physics of what happens after the zip line is cut because they start swinging, which like... They, they George of the First, jungle. First, I feel like they should <laughs> they should fall backwards off the zip line. Like, no, no, no. They should slide off. It's totally fine. But that fine. aside, they swing. He hits a tree, <laughs> right, with the grappling yeah. hook, and then later they swing down into a forest. And I'm like, was this like a tiered forest system, or did you land? It, it sort of looks like it's on like a mountainside. Next to the, you know, like I'm like, did you land next to the tree that you just grappled? Because you you sh- you should have landed much lower. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. They're uh, you know. They're just doing their best. It's it's fantasy, you know? There's flying vampire monsters. We don't got to worry about that too much. Um, I accept the flying vampire monsters. <laughs> I don't accept this bullshit grappling hook thing. <laughs> the our, our dear friend, the friar, Friar Carl, uh, and the girl that he saves, she's like, how could I ever repay you? And he whispers in her ear a bunch, and she's like, you can't do that. You're a monk. And he's like, actually, I'm just a friar. And then they giggle. Meanwhile, Dracula sends the werewolf brother after our duo, accepting that his experiment will not work. Helsing and Anna talk about how that's not her brother anymore once again, and he gives her his hat to protect her from the rain, and they drink some absinthe and fall into a giant pit in the ground just because. The next morning, good old friar friend of ours, Carl, wakes up next to the village girl he saved and groggily leans against a wall and reveals a tapestry uh, that depicts a werewolf and vampire fighting. And when I say depicts, I mean, like, literally begins animating itself within the movie. So, like, like a like a Monty Python book of illuminated text, except the illuminated text is moving within the actual canon of the movie. It's, it's very neat. Helsing and Anna wake up the next morning it's in their cool. underground pit. Helsing is describing the monster that supposedly lurks there. Uh, and then does he, he's standing right behind you moment with Anna. And it turns out that this is Frankenstein's monster, who at this point has a very similar attitude to the book Frankenstein, where he's like, humanity has rejected me. And so I shall be vicious. Anna asks what he wants. The monster says to exist. And the monster reveals that he is the key to his father's machine, the key to the life of Dracula's children. The ones from last night were just a single brood from a single bride. So Dracula has thousands of other attempts at this experiment. But he needs the monster to give the kids lasting life. Helsing doesn't let Anna kill the monster because the monster is not evil and apparently Helsing can just like sense these things inherently. But the werewolf makes a flash appearance and spots the monster. So now they have to protect the monster from Dracula by taking him to Rome. Anna says the line that I assume is true because I don't really know enough about horses to question it. Nothing is faster than a Transylvanian horse, not even a werewolf, which sure. Well, something that's important to point out about that fact is that neither werewolves nor Transylvanian horses are real. As I, <laughs> Transylvania is not uh, a real place, I don't think. So... not At least not anymore. It is an actual region <laughs> Certainly in not around now. Romania. Like, um, <laughs> it's not like a totally fictional place. Well, 
Werewolves, at yes, the very least, are fake. That I can uh, uh, agree with you on. So I don't think there's any way to tell if these horses, well, what... real or not, are faster than this actually fictional character. Within the uh, movie, they're not beast. faster than this actual fictional beast because both the werewolf and the Brides of Dracula do catch up to these horses as they're running through the forest. So we get more like travel footage. Helsing is driving a carriage incredibly quickly through the woods, and one of the Brides of Frankenstein begins to harrow him through this whole journey as they are trying to get away the bride manages to steer helsing over a bridge the horses and helsing make the jump no problem but the carriage goes plummeting and one of the brides goes after the carriage which is revealed to be devoid of people there's neither the monk nor the monster in the carriage but a bunch of explosives and stakes are and that is the death of the second bride of frankenstein and also the first actual death to ravine in this entire movie. <laughs> Granted, it was assisted by stakes and explosives, but she did die in a ravine, and I'm going to give that credit to it where it deserves it. Yeah, I'd say that counts. We'll count that. I'll, I'll count that Score as one for the ravine. Death. What they had gotten was the decoy cart. Helsing manages to jump back to the actual car where Anna uh, is driving with um, Friar Carl and the monster inside. Friar Carl and the monster are not having a great time. They don't super get along, but they don't necessarily... Uh, have any ability to run for themselves either, so they're just kind of chilling. The werewolf catches up to them as well as the other bride and begins attacking. Helsing is knocked from the cart and shoots the wolf, but the wolf manages to scratch him. Meanwhile, the cart uh, starts going up in flames and the gang reconvenes in a much better lit forest as the harrowing adventures of the previous night are forgotten and the fate of our heroes unknown. Anna and Helsing are reunited as Anna finds her brother dying. So apparently Helsing's bullet was functional against the werewolf in this case. And the brother dies. The brother, a hottie, an important note. She's mad at Helsing for killing her brother until she sees that Helsing was bitten by the werewolf. Oh no, that means he's going to turn into a werewolf too. Dun, dun, dun. The last bride manages to snag Anna and flies off towards a city. The monk appears and the monster as well to say like, hey, we also survived. It's totally fine. And the trio arrives in the city only to find the last bride of Dracula waiting for them. She wants to trade the monster for the princess. Helsing, you know, agrees to do that in exchange. They're apparently in Budapest now. That's revealed in this conversation. And tomorrow night on All Hallows' Eve, there's going to be a masquerade ball where they'll do the exchange. Which just felt like an excuse to get to a masquerade ball, but I am absolutely not mad about that. Any movie that has characters in fancy clothing mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. good. And this is a particularly fun... Uh, they they really up. went all in on the costumes. It was a good time. And it's it's good. Yeah. Good outfits. So Helsing and Carl leave the monster in a crypt in a graveyard. Uh, Helsing's like, yo, I got two nights before I become a werewolf. The monk inexplicably gets changed into a jester costume, although Helsing seems to just be wearing his own clothes but shinier, which I thought was very funny on their parts. Helsing says there's no way that monster can get out of the crypt unless he got help from the dead, and then as they're walking away, a coffin starts to push aside and a hand rises from within it, so that's not going to be an obstacle for long. Meanwhile, at the masquerade ball, Dracula is dancing with Anna and uh, making out a little bit, and she's not into it, which, you know, fair. Um, He has no intention of trading her in and wants her to become one of his new brides. Helsing, meanwhile, devises a plan. There are these trapeze artists going through the ball. And so what he does is grab one of them off of the trapeze. And just as Dracula is about to bite Anna, Carl pushes some fire from a flame breather in his direction, which kind of like throws him off his rhythm, you know? And then uh, Van Helsing swoops down the trapeze and snags Anna and they go uh, flying. I like when the trapeze artist gets to Van Helsing and you just hear the punch noise and then Van Helsing goes out yep. on the trap. Like, you don't see it happen. <laughs> I think it's very funny that it's like off screen. It's like, doom, ugh, and then there he they goes. Really make li- <laughs> they make liberal use of like extra sound effects in this movie to just show that things are happening off screen. And I really, I do love that. One of the things I love is like that they don't show all the things that happen. Like, there's a lot of things that are kind of happening off screen, but then there's also a lot of shadows. Like, they'll show yeah. just the shadow of something. Like, when uh, Dracula kills the doctor in the beginning, it's just the shadow of it happening. 
and I think that it's, it's really It's a very cool. fun choice. Yeah, it, it adds to, like, not campiness so much, but to the very particular style that this movie has. This is dire- uh, directed by the same guy who did The Mummy and uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Oh, fantastic. And The Mummy in particular has a very similar feeling to this movie, although I think The Mummy is maybe a little bit more um, artful in its way of it. It, it, it this movie is very much committed to like this is a vibe that we're selling more so than it is like a compelling narrative like there's a narrative here and we're gonna get from plot point to plot point but we're mostly here for like flashy action and like neat gimmicks and things like that and sometimes you just want a movie that's kind of there for the fun bits more so than like waxing philosophical although dracula does spend a lot of his time on screen waxing philosophical about this or that i i <laughs> i like that we don't actually see dracula in dracula form until the end like we see the brides throughout the whole movie yes but then we don't we only see him as a shadow the whole time for until until big reveal it it really like you like you just said it says something for the big reveal at the end um speaking of big reveals dracula reveals that this whole room at the masquerade is full of vampires so i guess that vampires are somewhat more common than we previously uh understood the monk finally gets, or the friar finally gets to use his mysterious sunlight device from earlier and lights up the entire house, just dusting all of the vampires within. But not before the monster is trapped by Igor on a boat who starts rowing away with him as our gang swims after him, but they can't get through the portcullis that closes behind them. Van Helsing swears he will find and free the monsters as they swim away, but Rome has ordered Helsing to kill the monster, which makes him mad as his werewolf nature starts to show a little bit as he gets angry. Meanwhile, back at the lab, the crew runs in to find that everything has been moved from Frankenstein's castle to Dracula's lair, and they have until sunset to find that lair. The friar goes through, you know, the history of the whole movie, kind of recapping what we were told at the top, that Dracula was the son of Anna's ancestor, and this all started when Dracula was murdered and made a covenant with the devil, and was banished to a door in an icy fortress. Uh, Van Helsing says door before returning to a very large painting in the foyer of the house where they are able to combine the scrap of parchment he was given before he left Rome with the painting, read the inscription and reveal a mirror behind the painting. When they touch the mirror, they can pass right through into a cold and snowy land and find themselves at Castle Dracula. The trio enters the castle as Helsing continuously struggles not to go full werewolf and find a lair filled with thousands and thousands of vampire child pods, which is very disconcerting. They run into Igor, still employed somehow, and see the monster being pulled up a tower to prepare for the experiment. Like a huge block of dry ice. (laughs) Just completely iced, except for his head, which is above the ice and totally just chilling. He's so, so completely fine at this point, except he's entirely encased in ice. He's a very strange option. Or restraints. Weird creative choice. They really commit to the ice aesthetic for this end battle, although then they decide, you know what, actually we don't want to commit to this anymore, and then switch to like a lightning aesthetic midway well, through. Because they need and, the lightning. Because <laughs> they need the lightning. It's they really only two elements that they care about here because all the fire is quickly extinguished in this castle. Helsing tries to open the metal bars separating him from the monster by just pulling on them, and he does get them to bend significantly, and I was not sure if that was because of his new werewolf powers or if that was, like, just Helsing was very strong and so he could <laughs> I, bend I metal think bars. It's, I think it's super werewolf strength. <laughs> I hope so, but there was no, like, context for it. <laughs> It wasn't like, whoa, dude, you're so strong. It was just like, uh, he can do this now. Don't worry about it. The gang realizes that only a werewolf can kill a vampire because why else would Dracula keep the cure to lycanthropy around? And so they decide to split up and look for clues. Helsing is going to go try and fight Dracula and he has to kill him at exactly the stroke of midnight. Meanwhile, Anna and Carl are going to go find the cure and they have to hit Helsing with the cure before the clock finishes bonging at midnight. So they got to... A real small time window to pull this thing off. Meanwhile, the experiment is once again underway as the monster protests, and so the actual climax of the movie begins. All those other fights? No, no, no. This is where the action really gets cooking. Helsing begins climbing up a tower using the chain that was pulling the monster up earlier instead of, like, the stairs that are presumably also there, but whatever floats your boat, dude. Uh, Meanwhile, the (laughs) trio of cure finders find the syringe... (laughs) encased in glass and a liquid we don't know yet, conspicuously full of red cure just sitting in the middle of an empty room. 
Uh, it, it's <laughs> just like its own like hilarious. Shh, that's the cure's room. Shh, 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 shh. Don't it's wake on it. like a pedestal, kind of like uh, Indiana Jones style. <laughs> it's very yeah. If you if you walked past the room, you'd be like, "Hey, I feel like that's probably important." That's the cure room, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Don't worry about it. Igor, who's been dragged along in this, traps the monk and Anna in the room with the cure. Uh oh. How will they get to Helsing in time? Meanwhile, Helsing, climbing the tower with his new werewolf strength, runs into the monster at the very top and begins trying to rip his bindings out from him so that he could escape when the lightning surges and the kiddos all begin starting to hatch. Anna and Carl are now trapped in the room and, uh uh-oh, the last bride of Dracula is also in the room with them. Anna knocks the glass container with the um, cure in it onto her and reveals that it was full of acid, so it's good that neither of them tried to reach into it. And tells the monk to grab the cure and run through the new hole in the portcullis gate thing that she has created with the rest of the acid. So our, our dear friend Carl starts running down the stairs as Anna and the Bride of Dracula face off. Dracula muses about how one more bolt of lightning his will bring his young to life. And of course, um, he spots Helsing freeing the monster and charges to the roof. The monster is trapped by only a foot binding as the last bolt hits and the kids all come to life. The only way that they can kill all the vampire children now is to kill Dracula. Dun dun dun. Monster manages to break free and starts falling from the roof uh, and manages to grab some cables that are just kind of hanging from something, I guess. Uh, and once again, a character either swings and or zip lines to somewhat safety over a giant ravine. The monster spots Carl, who is struggling to get across a bridge as Igor attacks him and knocks Igor into the ravine below. So that's uh, two for the deadly ravines. Uh, out of four for ravine falls in general. <laughs> Meanwhile, Anna and the bride are facing off, and the bride seems to have the upper hand the whole time. The monster helps Carl get across the bridge, and as he goes swinging, he crashes into the battle between Anna and the bride. So this is a castle with a conveniently two-tower system, it seems, because they are able to travel from one part of the plot to the other in a moment's notice with just one swing across a deadly ravine. The monster now taking on the bride for Anna is like, go cure Helsing. And she's like, thank you. And they have a soft little moment where the monster's like, oh, a human is thanking me instead of running in fear. How wonderful. And she runs off to go presumably try and get to the top of the other tower. Helsing, now in a burning lab, is facing off with Dracula. Uh, the clock chimes midnight and Helsing turns around and goes into his werewolf form, which for a moment... For a moment, I thought they were going to give the werewolf the long hair that they have given Hugh Jackman this entire movie, because as he's transforming... He has the long hair, it's... He has it, but it gets shorter as he gets, like, full werewolf. It's like, if you pause the movie midway through the werewolf transformation, you can catch it where he has the long hair still, but then they don't commit to it. His werewolf is so much better than the other one. He's, like, twice the size, and, like, this ripped black werewolf. (laughs) It's so good. I can't even just like it is such a good werewolf design. Screw Twilight. This is the <laughs> one true way to make a werewolf in a movie. Oh yeah, this this werewolf is excellent. It's a very like Skyrim looking werewolf in a lot of ways, although, you know, better graphics obviously. And Dracula in order to fight him also turns into his real vampire form, which is the first time we see it not in shadow in the movie. And they have a little bit of a they do a little monster fight. Dracula seems a little perturbed to the fact that he is a werewolf he's facing off against. And he tries to talk it off, and Helsing is like, absolutely not. And so it's just an all-out slugfest. There's a, it seems like this all should have happened in the time span it took to make the clock bong again, but they the clock will not bong again for the rest of the movie. So I guess that that time piece that has been introduced is not going to actually factor in to the time telling of the movie. It's a very slow clock. <laughs> yes. You did, not know the, did you not know that the last second of the day is actually four minutes long? <laughs> You know, I, that hadn't come up before in my day-to-day life, but now that I know that, I'll be sure to keep that in mind when planning all of my future events. Anna is swinging from tower to tower over the collapsing bridge, and Carl throws the syringe to her, and she makes for the tower, only to get hit by the bride who has somehow managed to fly out. She thinks that she's about to get killed by this vampire lady, and the Carl throws a, a stake straight through her uh, and kills the final bride. Dracula and werewolf Von Helsing continue to fight. Dracula continuing to wax poetic about escaping from God or whatever the entire time. And they have a little bit of a think what we could do together speech. But, you know, Helsing's like, no, dude, you're freaking evil. 
Uh, as he's about to land the final blow, the moon is covered by cloud because, again, remember that werewolves in this movie are only functional when the cloud is the moon is fully visible at all times. Dracula reveals that Helsing was the one who originally murdered him back in the day and that Helsing is the angel Gabriel, the left hand of God, and that the ring that he had at the beginning of the movie so is Dracula's ring. And I was like, this plot point seems so extraneous. Like, why couldn't he just like, be a monster they hunter? do not bring it up again. Nope. <laughs> it is such a random thing to throw in. They're like, by the way, you are the left hand of God, the angel Gabriel. It's not important to anything. Don't even worry about it. The whole, like, Van Helsing Continue with your regular life. <laughs> doesn't have his memories and, like, doesn't know what's going on thing is constantly in the background of the movie, but so irrelevant to the events that happen. Like, you could have done this entire movie with Van Helsing just being a particularly good monster hunter, and it would play the exact same way. So th this whole, like, angel Gabriel subplot thing is... <sighs> It's like a really weird throwaway line that shouldn't be a throwaway line. Exactly. It's it's a lot of commitment to a bit in the last, like, ten minutes of the movie. But luckily, before Dracula can get the final upper hand, Helsing turns back into a werewolf as the moon comes back out and manages to kill Dracula once and for all, and all the vampire kids start dying off, which means there's only one thing left to do. Cure Helsing. Wolf Helsing, now looming over Anna, as she runs up and tries to hit him with the cure, he knocks her to a dramatically placed, like, chaise lounge on the other side of the laboratory. Um, like a fainting like couch. Like a faint, full-on fainting couch. Uh, and Carl is wistfully like, oh no, I have to kill Helsing, and goes to hit him with a stake, only to see that he starts turning back from a werewolf into himself being hit with the cure, but Anna, somehow having survived till now, dies on the fainting couch from being hit too hard. So that's great. I, I think it's like a, like she stabs him and he gets her and then like that kills her or whatever. And then he's like upset about it. Yeah, it's very so like unclear. One really weird, very short romantic thing. Oh yeah, they made out an, earlier in the, in the castle uh, in one scene. That was like it, though. <laughs> that was really it. That's like it. They like There's shared some absinthe because everyone in this movie exclusively drinks absinthe. And then he gave her his hat at one point so she wouldn't get wet after she had already been rained on. And then they made out a bunch in Castle in Dracula's lair. And now I guess they are in love or whatever. Also, not anymore. She's <laughs> not anymore. Dead, so. Not a single female except not a single single female character except for the village girl that. Carl uh, banged earlier in the movie survive until the end. <laughs> like <laughs> everyone else is dead. All the other, all the other girls all the other, are dead. All three brides are dead, and Anna, the one female protagonist, dies. So I'm like, really, man? You couldn't have just let her like hang out and made their like little three man band of monster hunters or whatever. But I guess no. Dracula and the line that fought him, they die together. They bury her by the sea. Remember that whole, like, throwaway line about how she'd never been to the sea? Well, of course Van Helsing does. That's why they burn her there, of course. The monster, Frankenstein's monster, sets sail, which is actually uh, kind of what he does in the novel. He sets sail for the Arctic, so, you know, that's a textual detail that was the nice. The Arctic? I forget if it's the Arctic or just sort of the North, but, like, the whole novel of Frankenstein is a story being told by a guy who was told the story by Frankenstein's monster who had tracked who I think Frankenstein or the monster had tracked to the Arctic. One of the monster was in the Arctic for some reason and Frankenstein tracked him down to like kill him or whatever. And then Frankenstein died first and the monster was like, Oh no. Well, that's fine. I guess this guy was kind of a dick to me. That's a, that's my shitty summary of <laughs> Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I think the whole thing what was a like, wild it's idea. A... just be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to row to the Arctic. <laughs> Wait, it's cause he's, um, it'll be fine. Because it's far away from humanity and, like, no one could be... No one will find him there, you know? Because why would people go to the Arctic? Which is true. The barrier by the sea, the monster sails away. As Anna burns, her, like, face and her whole family's face appear in the clouds in the sky as Helsing looks on. And very Mufasa. They're, very Mufasa. They're all together now in heaven. Remember that whole plot point about how if they didn't kill Dracula, her whole family would be stuck in purgatory forever? Well, this is the payoff for that, buddy. The theme music kicks up. Helsing smiles, he dons his iconic hat, and he and Carl ride off once more to do other monster hunting things, I suppose. And uh, that's a wrap on Van Helsing. <laughs> his his iconic hat, by the way, very weird hat. It's like it's like an Indiana Jones hat had a baby with a top hat. It's like a <laughs> super tall fedora. It's a it's a it's definitely a strange choice because it it doesn't feel particularly period and to necessarily any one time period. But 
it is also different from any other thing that any other person in this movie is wearing. So it makes him stand out in scenes, despite the fact that he wears all black and a trench coat. So, you know what? I'm going to call it fair game. Good on and the... that weird mask for like the one scene at the beginning. Not, he wears like a weird mask for like 0.5 seconds in the masquerade scene. And then he takes it off almost immediately. It's awesome. But yeah, that is... That's Van Helsing. It's it's a fun one. Patrick, I have to ask, you know, obviously on the show, our guests get to choose the movies they want. And I think I think I know the answer for this for you. But is this a movie that you would watch again? This is a movie that you would recommend other people watch. What are your final final thoughts here? No, I would I would absolutely recommend that everyone watches this movie. I would totally watch it again. I watched it today. I watched it last week. It's a a fantastic movie. I mean, I did watch it twice in preparation for this, (laughs) but I would have watched it anyway. Just to say but I do think that everyone should watch it, especially if you like action movies or Hugh Jackman, because this has both of those things. Yeah. Just truly a fantastic movie. Also, if you like the guy who plays Carl, because he's just in everything. He, if you don't, his, he's just in all of So movies. I was looking through the IMDb page for everyone who was in this movie, and the guy who plays Carl is David Wenham, and he is in 300. He's in the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yep. He's in the he's in the really bad Iron Fist show yeah, on Netflix. He was in Peter Rabbit. He voiced Johnny Talonmouse. <laughs> this guy is prolific. Yeah. Other than he's Hugh Jackman, he's probably the actor in this movie that has probably been in the most other recognizable. He was in the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell No Tales. Uh, he's really he's, he gets his gets around, uh, which good good the for guy Carl. Who plays Dracula. I don't even know who that is. Never seen him before. Guy who plays Carl, all over the place. Yeah, Dracula is played. Um, by Richard Roxborough, who has been in a few other things, but not as many as Carl. He was in Moulin Rouge, notably, and uh, Sanctum and Rake, which are kind of not quite as you big act name like pictures. I've seen Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Moulin Rouge is an excellent movie, and I'm disappointed that no one has picked it for the podcast yet. But you know, there's always there's always next time. Um, I only watch really bad action movies. <laughs> While we're talking about movies, actors in this movie we're in. Multiple characters in this movie were played by actors who later went on to be in the Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul movie, the like Guardians of Gahul animated movie in 2010. God, I hate, you know why I hate that movie is because Zack Snyder did it. And uh... I'm not going to, also it was probably bad, but let's not, before your podcast gets all of the hate because I just said I hate Zack Snyder. Um... I, will, I won't weigh in on that particular choice, but you know what? Commit to the bit you want to commit to. But uh, we're we're coming right up on time here, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. I think uh, I agree with you, Patrick. This was a, this was a fun. I was genuinely surprised by how much I actually enjoyed watching this movie. I'm a sucker for some gothic horror, for some fantasy elements, and uh, everyone in this really kind of just seemed to to throw their all behind whatever role they were in. It's it's not like a deep movie by any means, but it's a very fun action no. romp. It's got some really neat neat like cinematic choices, neat shots. And I, I think it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you like movies like the uh, Robert Downey Jr. live action Sherlock Holmes or The Mummy. This is kind of a similar feeling to those movies. So if you were looking for something to watch sort of in that genre or that feel, then this would definitely be a good choice. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks again for having me and for watching that movie. <laughs> Anytime. With that, we're going to wrap up. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Happy watching. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on May 24th watching Star Trek, um, the feature film from 2009, not all of Star Trek. That's like a whole other podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you've got any comments, questions, or concerns, hit us up at moviestruckpod at gmail.com.